Welcome to The Bounce. I am Bob Lapine. I'm the lead pastor at Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. I serve on the board of directors for the Great Commission Collective, and The Bounce is brought to you by GCC. The Great Commission Collective is a collective of churches planting other churches. Our mission is to plant churches and strengthen leaders. You can learn more about the Great Commission Collective at gccollective.org. You know, we've just been through a pandemic in our world with the COVID virus. And in fact, uh, truth be told, I was diagnosed today with COVID. So as I bring you this podcast, if you hear a little stuffy nose, it's because I am still dealing with a little coronavirus that has found its way into my system. But are we aware that there is maybe a, a bigger, maybe even deadlier virus that has unleashed itself in our churches that is destroying marriages and families and lives. It's the pornography epidemic. That's what we're going to talk about on this edition of The Bounce. And we're going to talk to Sam Black, who is the director of Life Change Education at Covenant Eyes. I hope you know about Covenant Eyes. If not, there's a link in our show notes. This is a company that put together accountability software, a program where you and your ally, your accountability partner, can share with one another uh, the, the sites you've been to on the web. It will flag any sites that might be troubling. Every week, you get a report from uh, Covenant Eyes about all of the places that your ally has been that week, and it's just a way to hold one another accountable. Uh, Covenant Eyes has a whole lot of resources available to help in this battle against pornography. And Sam has just written a book called The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. That's what we're going to talk about with him today. Let's uh, start by having you explain to listeners, Sam, why the ministry that you're involved with is the ministry that you're involved with. Because I don't know many people who, when they were thinking about ministry, said, I want to be involved with people who are struggling with pornography. Right. You give away the freedom you've received. And, you know, God does miraculous things in our lives where he can turn our misery into ministry, uh, (laughs) take the miserable and make them into mentors. And I had to walk my own life through this. I had to walk my own journey through this, uh, struggle with pornography, and I get to come out on the other end, giving back the same support that men provided to me. And so for the past 17 years, I've served with Covenant Eyes in a number of different roles. And uh, currently, I serve as the Director of Recovery Education at Covenant Eyes And we get to do some cool things with that. I get to do some really awesome things with that. And that is, uh, one is we created this app called Victory, uh, Victory by Covenant Eyes. It's available in your app stores. And uh, there's, in addition to providing uh, our accountability software within the Victory app, we also provide more than 20 courses. And the Victory app is free. And it helps people understand, how did I get here? Why do I seem to stay stuck? And how could I live in lasting freedom from pornography? Mm. 
And and for those who don't know about Covenant Eyes, I have to think most people listening do, but but I find people all the time who say, yeah, I haven't heard of that. Yeah. What is that? Just explain the accountability program that has been put together and how how many people are using Covenant Eyes every week right now? We're serving currently about 500,000 people with wow. with Covenant Eyes, and we've served more than 2 million over our time. For since 2000, uh, we have created software that uh, monitors phones, tablets, and computers that helps them be accountable to someone else that they choose to be accountable to. So Covenant Eyes today actually monitors the screens of devices using artificial intelligence that knows what pornography is. And then uh, you choose someone to receive an ongoing feed or report of how you're using your devices. And that friend we call an ally because an ally has your back. They are someone you trust. They are someone who knows your goals and wants to see you succeed. And so you choose an ally to receive your activity on your devices and then Covenant Eyes is monitoring and delivering that to that individual. And before even anything, images are uh, reported, they're blurred before they even leave the device. And so we're obscuring any impersonal data, but it, it can give a warning to someone else that says, hey, this, maybe your friend is struggling right now. Reach out, provide them some support. And again, it's it's voluntary. It's guys who are saying, yes. I, and I, I say guys, it's people who are saying, mm-hmm. uh, th- this is an area of temptation for me, an area of struggle for me, and I want the accountability. And it's one of those good protective measures. It's what we're called to do with one another in scripture. And Sam, I corrected myself from saying it's guys because I'm guessing that a growing number over the last 10 years of people who are signing up for this are women. Two-thirds of men in the church and a third of women in the church, they have an ongoing struggle with pornography. And when we're seeing that, of course, increase, that figure is actually from 2016. So we've known this has been an issue and a struggle for women as well for a long while. And since 2007, when the iPhone first came out, we've been handing these devices to our children as well. And so children are often have their own device, and they're sharing it with even our children who may not have a device And often pornography is being introduced at a very young age. And that can be very impactful for both men and women. But that's certainly a reason why we see more women struggling today than ever before. So as I'm standing up on a Sunday morning looking out at my congregation, you're saying most, a majority of the men that I'm looking at are having an ongoing struggle with pornography. How do you define an ongoing struggle? What, what's what's going on with them? Yeah, so for about two-thirds of men and a third of women say they're visiting a pornography site about once a month. Now, if we look a little deeper at that, about 37% of men of all ages say they're watching pornography multiple times per week. If we look at the age group between uh, 18 and 30, they're saying they're watching it Thirty-six uh, percent are saying they're watching it daily. Now, this is men in the culture at large, or men in the church? Men in the church, and about fourteen percent of women. So, I mean, I'm, I'm again. It, that sounds yeah. right. This is like an epidemic, and we, uh-huh. why are we not talking about this within the church? And that's why I wrote the Healing Church: What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It, because we have a hard time talking about this such a delicate issue apparently within the church yet 
Jesus is not fearful of our sin. He's not fearful of all the struggles we're going through. And we can be, uh, on the local level, a healing church where we want to see you grow. We want to see God's redeeming power uh, in your life. And that comes, of course, through the body of Christ. Is is it simply a matter of accessibility that is the reason why we're seeing these these uh, rates go up, or is it the coarsening of the culture? Is it both of those things together? What's what's your take on that? It's all the above, but there are three common factors for men and, and women who struggle with pornography on an ongoing or compulsive basis, and those three factors are the early exposure to pornography as a child. So, of course. Our culture has a big part of that. The proliferation of devices and the easy access to pornography is certainly having an impact on more and more children seeing pornography. So one, early exposure. Number two, the ongoing use and repetition use of pornography, often through adolescence. And number three is some trauma that happened often early in life, but can happen elsewhere. And so... That early exposure is exceptionally impactful on that young brain, but the repetition helps burn those desires even further into our neurochemistry and our our neurobiology. And that suddenly, somewhere along the line, that switches from just, hey, this feels good or it's intriguing or interesting or exciting to a, a factor where we begin anesthetizing our emotions and regulating our moods. It becomes an escapism for how we deal with life in general. And so those three aspects, early exposure, the ongoing use and repetition, and that trauma that often happened helps cement men and women in this stronghold in their life that often they want to be free from, but it's having an incredible impact on their mind, body, and spirit. The trauma you're talking about, is that could that be mom and dad got a divorce, or are you talking about being sexually violated? What kind of trauma are, do you have in mind here? Right. There's a broad range of what is can be so impactful, um, whether that's physical abuse or sexual abuse or verbal or emotional abuse. You know, we are human beings, and we're imperfect parents. We're imperfect. Uh, our parents weren't perfect, um, even if we came from great homes. And divorce, maybe, you know, we live in a society where often both parents have to work. So is that child feeling mom and dad are too busy for me? And all these little things happen along the way that are sort of like death by a thousand cuts, right? They're, maybe they're small traumas, but they happen over and over again and can be very impactful on that young brain. Most of the pastors we're talking to follow, I think, a similar pattern with me. We are guys who are going to teach through a book of the Bible, mm-hmm. verse by verse, which means that if you're going through the Gospel of John, which I, I just finished last spring, uh, there aren't a whole lot of places in the Gospel of John where you're going to be addressing the issue of pornography in the culture. Mm. Uh I'm trying to think as a pastor who takes that approach to how you teach the scriptures week in and week out at your church. Um, if, if you're not addressing pornography because it shows up in a passage, mm-hmm. what do we do knowing that there's an epidemic in our church and yet our, our preaching method is to go verse by verse and not just go topical and do a, a sermon on pornography and think, well, okay, hopefully I've done some good there. 
Well, I think it's important that we do address pornography as topical, but certainly the Bible is very well adept at addressing this issue. But we need to understand that important, those underlying factors. How do people get stuck? Why do they often stay stuck without help? And how can we create a safe place and a safe process within the church where people are leaning in and taking a path toward real freedom? If we're going to try to solve this in a 20-minute sermon, we're not going to do very well. That's where we can inspire. But when people trapped in a stronghold go through a safe process, it's an opportunity for deep discipleship. That's a place where people get to really bear into understanding how they got into their situation, but more importantly, so that safe process keeps them from going back to what is so familiar because, hey, this is my own story too, right? So I laid, I laid my little jail cell uh, block by block and bar by bar, and I reached through and locked the, the door and threw away the key. And by the way, nobody keeps the key. And what I needed was someone, as Galatians would say, who is spiritually mature to begin walking with me because left to my own devices, I could go back to what is familiar. And so often in the church, men and women who are struggling are fighting harder on their own. And they try willpower and they try their spiritual disciplines and they focus on themselves more and more. And they make these private confessions to God about how they never want to be here again. But God is asking us to dig a little deeper. Now, listen, God can do anything. He frees people from their addictions to uh, pornography and drugs and alcohol and cigarettes and many other things. But often he calls us to walk with childlike faith on a journey that leads to lasting freedom, where we have to lean in with that childlike faith and renew our mind, body, and spirit. I've talked with guys who have given up hope in the battle because they've been in that spot where they've said, I never want to be back here again. And a month later or six months later, whatever it is, they're back in the same spot. and Or two days later or an hour later. Yeah. And they hate it. They hate it. But but they're they're drawn to it. Why why is it that confession and repentance um doesn't fix it for us? Repentance requires us to change, to do an about face. You know, many of your pastoral leaders will understand repentance is not just simply saying I'm sorry, but turning an about face. Yeah. And 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 to do that well, we need some guidance. Because so often we just want that quick fix, right? We, want, we just want to be instantly cured. And what we need is that safe process. You know, one of, the, one of the basic principles of the Christian faith is to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James 5.16, right? Right. But I visit small churches and they say, Sam, you have to understand that in this small church, we know each other. It's very hard for us to be that kind of vulnerable with one another because we've grown up together. Our kids go to school together, et cetera. And then I'll go to a mega church. There's 5,000, 10,000 people there. And they say, Sam, you know, I don't know really how to find a, a covenantized ally to receive my ongoing reports because, well, I don't know someone I can trust that much. I don't know that someone that well. 
So is it the size of the church that's the problem? No. No, it's not the size of the church the problem. We need to ask ourselves what part of James 5.16 do we not believe? You know, when we begin that confession with one another, that fellow ally, that friend is now asking us some more difficult questions, questions we're not, we can't see our blind spots. And maybe we can dive a little bit deeper of well, what were you thinking that day? What were you feeling? What was going on in your life at that time? What was the triggers that happened? And as we unveil those things, then we can create a new path toward freedom, especially if we have some guidance like the Victory app by Covenant Eyes, where it's really walking you through, why am I turning to pornography in the first place? What's going on here? Uh, Is it just simply a matter of lust or is there deeper things that are going on? And typically it is some deeper things going on. And what was, you you talked about your own story. Mm -hmm. What was the turning point for you? Yes, Well, let's start with the beginning of my story, if we're going to step in there. I was 10 years old when I was first exposed to pornography. I remember walking out of my Florida home and my brother and his friend were leaning up against their car. He was 10 years older than me. And they were looking at a magazine sideways and that just didn't make any sense. How can you read sideways? And so um, I asked what they were looking at and they turned it around. Now, I just told you a whole story about my first seeing pornography. Now, I have found that because of the dopamine that focuses your attention on something new and novel, even though I didn't understand the maybe sexual cues I was picking up, even though I didn't even understand the basic mechanics of sex at 10 years old, I told you full story because dopamine fired off and helps burn that memory into my brain, along with norepinephrine, which is also associated with fight or flight. And so those work together. And today's pornography is shocking and violent demeaning. And so it can be very shocking. And so I find that you can ask any adult about the first time that they saw pornography as a child. If they saw pornography as a child, they can tell you a full story, even though they can't tell you anything else about that day. I also had a friend and his dad had pornography that was falling out of his closet. I could take anything I wanted and I did. But it also came though from a Christian home. My dad was, it was a violent home with him. And so I didn't even realize that at the time that Pornography flipped from being interesting or intriguing or exciting to this is a place where I could run and hide. When I felt fear and frustration and anger, this was an escape. And so that escapism would follow me from middle school to high school to college and into my marriage. And my wife began attending a a small church in our community, and there was a, a group that was meeting for marriage. And she asked if I would go with her to that, and I, I agreed and they were a little peculiar. The facilitators of the class would close that classroom door, look at the class with a big smile and say, this is a safe place. What is said here stays here. And within that safe environment, I got to begin taking a journey that helped me understand how pornography could be compulsive and addictive. And that was a great relief because I didn't have to stay this way. And with support of men like you, I got to go on a journey to understand how I got there and how I can truly live in freedom. I'm often asked, you you said this earlier, so many men are asking, men and women are asking, is it really possible to be free? I often hear, "Is, is it possible to really live in freedom? And the answer is unequivocally yes. Has, did the temptation continue for you? 
there's a period, I think, of temptation. I think this is different for different people. I find in my current life that pornography is not tempting anymore because it doesn't have anything to offer. The only thing it has to offer is more shame, what I call self-hatred at my expense, shame. And there's no value. It's pixels. It's artificial. There's no intimacy. There's no connection. It's not that pornography shows you too much in a spiritual sense. It's that it shows you too little of what God intended for us in marriage. Pornography is not sex. It's a hijacking of what God created for us in mind, body, and spirit. So you're talking right now to several hundred pastors, church planters, who are saying, my my goal in what I'm doing is to um, help people grow into maturity in Christ, see every man uh, raised up in Christian maturity, every woman in my church, I want to see them growing. Uh, this This is a topic that uh, in a public setting, we're going to be more guarded about talking about. I'm aware it's there. I'm not exactly sure how I should address it. It should be addressed um, and, and how to really help people. If, if you're the consultant to help a church uh, achieve a status where everybody in the church could say, you know what, I, I, I'm not tempted by this anymore. I'm like Sam. I've been there. I've seen it. I see it for what it is, and it's not tempting to me. If that was our goal, what would you say we as pastors ought to do? Wow. There's so much involved there, right? We've got to start this conversation somewhere. And there are many ways that we can do that. And that's why I wrote The Healing Church. I interviewed more than 70 pastors, counselors, and ministry leaders, and others for the book. I went to churches that were doing this work well. What were they doing that was different? And I took a whole book to write about that, right? And so I began diving in, not to just say, hey, people are doing it wrong. What are churches doing so well? What are they doing right? And more over and over again, they were creating a safe place with a safe process to allow this conversation to happen. And when you begin doing that well, all this mystery and all this concern can quickly fade away. Now, let me give you an example. Two weeks ago, I spoke on two Sunday morning services where the pastor had introduced me as Sam Black is here and he's going to talk to us about the issue of pornography, <laughs> right? And that morning service had 1,400 uh, and it was broadcast to five other campuses. And so often in the church, we're like, oh, well, we can't really talk about this on a Sunday morning, can we? We can't really have a conversation about how this is. And yet it's impacting two-thirds of men in the church and a third of women in the church. And we need to be able to have a redeeming conversation from our pulpits, in our small groups, and equipping our parents to have these conversations within the church. The church is God's plan A. Hmm. So the churches that are doing well with this— in addition to addressing it uh, front and center, what else are they doing? Well, let me give you just a quick, what the church I was just at. Um, so at the end of that message, they had 146 people sign up for small groups that deal directly with the issue of pornography, both for people who were struggling themselves with pornography 
as well as those who had experienced the betrayal trauma of how it's impacted their marriage, how it's impacting their, their home life. So those churches are leaning in and providing a safe place for the ongoing and continued conversation and that safe path that we're talking about, that safe process to really lean into learning and growing in Christ's freedom. And what, what's going on in those small groups when they're getting together? Well, one, we're being honest because shame knows you're powerful when you're honest. So often, uh, men and women who are struggling believe that they are uniquely defective, that no one would understand, that there is no hope for them, that somehow they're just wired strangely, or as more and more as this become in our society so accepted that this is just part of life and that God's commandments, God's desire for us as sexual beings to live in his wholeness and his virtue is unattainable. That's just not reasonable. And what we need to understand is that pornography is undermining every ministry in our local church. So if we're not addressing the issue of pornography in the church, then we are losing traction in our children's ministries because the average age for first exposure is somewhere between the ages of 8 and 12, depending on which study you're looking at. It's impacting our teen ministries because we know that teens are among the most prolific users of pornography. We know it's impacting our marriage ministries because in 56% of divorce cases today, a major contributing factor is one spouse's ongoing compulsive use of pornography. And then we know also know it's impacting our men and women, so it's impacting our men's and women's ministries. There was some surveys that were done both by Christian colleges as well as some secular universities, and they want to really ascertain, you know, this issue of pornography is brought up sometimes in the church. Is it really impactful on the Christian person's faith? And what they found was a direct correlation between pornography use and church attendance, diminished faith, how close you felt to God, uh, increased religious doubts. Less volunteerism. In fact, the University of Oklahoma found the direct correlation between how much pornography someone used and whether or not they would serve on a committee or another volunteer role in their church over the next six years. But as I was also running the, the Healing Church, I, I interviewed many those in ministry leadership or lay leadership and found that there were some people who had gone through the recovery process, but for a period of time had spent extra time serving their church because they wanted to make up for their sin with pornography. They were uh, somehow serving the church. If they would, would fall, then they would wallow in that shame and self-hatred for a period their doubts. And after that swallowing around for a while, they would flip a coin and they would go to a perfectionism. And that perfectionism was aimed at serving my family better, being a better spouse, serving in my church more. But that self-willpower can only last for so long. And they haven't really gone through a safe process. They've been keeping it as a private confession to God rather than being open with someone else. And so they just kept flipping between perfectionism and shame. What's the way out of that cycle? The way of the cycle is, of course, <laughs> we begin being open with someone else. Uh, 
That's a good place to start. It's also important for us to have a knowledge of what's going on. How has porn seared our conscience? How has pornography seared our, our emotional health, our spiritual health, and impacted us in mind, body, and spirit, as we like to say? And then with that understanding, then we don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are many great resources. Covenant Eyes provides um, a program called Five Stones that equips pastors and ministry leaders to have readily available resources to help people start this healing journey. And as well, the Victory App by Covenant Eyes, which I've talked about before as well. And, and I'll just mention, we've got links to these in our show notes for folks who want more information about all of this. Sam, talk about the uh, the pastor who is struggling with this, and he's thinking, yeah, who am I going to open up to about this? Yeah, that's so hard because we seem to shoot our wounded, even in ministry. This is a 2016 Barna study that reported that 57% of pastors and 64% of youth pastors said they struggle with pornography currently or have in the past. About 21% of youth pastors and 5% of senior pastors believe they are addicted to pornography. In the book, I dedicate two chapters to really helping leadership support those who are in pastoral ministry or in ministry of some kind within the church. And that is a delicate balance that I'll not be able to articulate here in this short amount of time. But we can create a process where our first focus is making sure that that ministry leader is restored to Christ. And whether that is continuing in ministry or other things, we'll find that comes out in the process. But we need to first say, hey, we love you too much. We're not simply going to kick you to the curb and be done with you. We believe Jesus wants you and every part of you right now. And we're not going to just say, get out, leave us. We don't want you part of our community anymore. We love you too much to leave you the same. And we want to help you on that healing journey. And that's, and so often, and instead, we have been shooting our wounded. I remember going to an event where I was speaking to pastors and ministry leaders, and uh, the senior pastor who is in charge of the overall event said, you know, Sam, I really pushed hard for you to be here because I'm supposed to be retired. And I was co-pastoring with my replacement, and but with a little discovery, was discovered that he was struggling with pornography. And so we disqualified him from ministry. And But you know, Sam, he s- said that he was exposed to pornography in an early age. Is that ever a reason why somebody might struggle? That is one of the basics of why people can struggle. So can someone find freedom even if they've been in ministry? Absolutely. And here's what I have also found, that those who go through a safe place and a safe process, whether it's a lay person or whether it is a person who's been in ministry, They come out on the other side of that process, not a window dressing process, but a thorough process that allows them to heal their wounds, dig deep into why they're using pornography in the first place, have God's redeeming power in every part, every facet of their life, 
and they go on fire, they can't help but give away the freedom that they received. And they become more empathetic, they become more passionate, and they can't wait again to give back the freedom that they've received. You, you talked about the fact that there are often deeper issues below the surface than just lust. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there two or three that are the most common? Well, it comes on such a spectrum, but again, that those three dynamic factors are the early exposure, typically as a child, the ongoing use and repetition in adolescence, and that trauma that often happened early. But often we just say, we put up this before and after wall. Well, I met Jesus. Right. And whatever happened before that time doesn't matter anymore. And so often I have heard many ministry leaders say, you know, when I was in middle school, I thought that when I got to high school, things would change because I'd be around more mature people and things would just be different. And and that didn't work. And so then when I went to uh, my Christian college, I thought, well, this will make things different because now I'll be around others who love Jesus and these issues will just go away. And then that doesn't work. And they go to a seminary and they think, well, this is going to be the answer because I'm now really, these are the dedicated folks. Mm. And that didn't seem to work. I thought, well, when I get into my mission field or to a pastoral leadership or it's serving in a church, man, I'm, I'm going to, that's really going to be the key. And that doesn't work. And so now they're stuck in this hiding. And as we talk to missionary leaders, pornography is a major issue among new missionaries that are coming in. They've never really dealt with this issue. When I tell pastors, you need to make part of your hiring process to understand that people coming in out of seminary, how much are they struggling with pornography? Can you make it safe for them? And if you think they're a good candidate, yet they've been struggling with pornography, can you, who are spiritually mature, take them on a, on a safe process. And what you will find is that when you help them find real healing in their life, then they go on fire on the other side. But mm. listen, so often, and I thought this for myself, that if I could just deal with this pornography issue, everything else would just be fine. And if I deal with pornography, then, then I don't have to worry about anything else. And what I found was really I heard David's voice in the, in the Psalms, crying out, search me, O God, know my heart. If there's be any wrong way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. And so what happens is the closets open up and those containers that were closed off get to be opened and dealt with. The dark corners get to be lit up. And people are not only dealing with the issue of pornography, they get to deal with the issue of anger which often leads them to pornography. Sometimes those feelings of lack of self-worth or doubt or depression or other things that are triggering them toward pornography. And so as we go on a healing journey, we're not just dealing with that one sin that seemed to be so overwhelming in our life. We get to live in Christ's wholeness in our life. Again, we've been talking today to Sam Black from Covenant Eyes. He's the director of life change education at Covenant Eyes. 
and he is the author of the book, The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. Information about his book and about the Covenant Eyes software in the show notes. There's also information about the Victory app links that are available. Again, you can go to our show notes for that information. And let me encourage you just as a pastor to be thinking, what are we doing? What can we be doing to challenge men and women around this subject of pornography to help us promote uh, covenant keeping with our eyes, help us promote healthy, godly sexuality in a culture that is bombarding us with opportunity uh, to, to go in the wrong direction. Again, more information in the show notes about Covenant Eyes, about Sam's book, and I hope you'll take some time to pray through this and think about this and maybe talk with other pastors about what they are doing. And let me encourage you also to find out more about the Great Commission Collective. I know many of you who listen are a part of GCC, but I also know that a lot of Great Commission Collective pastors have been sharing information about this podcast with fellow pastors or church planters. If you'd like to know more about what we're all about at the Great Commission Collective, go to our website, which is gccollective.org. Let me ask you to do us a favor as well. Pass along to your friends, your fellow pastors or church planters, information about this podcast, either this particular episode or point them to the podcast in general so they can benefit from these conversations. You can like us. You can leave comments. You can subscribe to The Bounce. We hope you'll do that. It'll help us get the word out and help you stay in touch with all that we're doing here on The Bounce. Now, next time on The Bounce, we're going to have a conversation with author and speaker Rosaria Butterfield about what she calls the five lies of our anti-Christian age. She addresses common lies about sexuality, faith, feminism, gender roles, modesty, things being promoted in our secular culture today. How should we respond to these things? What does the Bible call us to? This will be a provocative conversation, and I hope you'll join us for it next time on The Bounce.